brought to you by the Mutual Audio Network. With a name like Mutual, it has to be good. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. I don't know who first coined the phrase short and sweet. I don't know precisely what they were speaking of or in what context. And I haven't the vaguest idea how it fell into such common and widely variable use. I am, however, reasonably confident that they had never met Norman Bullrick. Norman had been our client for the better part of this week, and while his stature was in line with the cliché in question, the disposition he presented to the world was entirely his own. Don't mistake me, he wasn't mean or unpleasant. He wasn't ugly, though Lord knows he wasn't pretty. But sweet he was not. He was a working man in every sense of the word, including the olfactory. I'd say he fell something in the neighborhood of five foot four, and he fell it in every single direction. Mr. Bullrick had a problem. Fortunately, Mr. Bullrick also had $35 a day, and those two items in combination meant that he was our kind of people. Not to put too fine a point on it, but Mr. Bullrick's problem was Mrs. Bullrick, or rather his nagging suspicions thereof. They'd been married five years... He, blockish, nervous, and sweaty. In that order. She, not, not, and if she was, he wanted to know about it. Also in that order. Those familiar with the distinguished clientele old Squarejaw and I had established will know that this sort of thing wasn't unusual, nor did it embarrass, shock, or even surprise us. Norman, on the other hand, experienced a wide array of emotive responses, most of them at the same time. This made him flustered, gave me a screaming headache, and upset King the agency mutt to the point that he now howled like a banshee whenever he saw Norman coming. On the other hand, it sent the deliberately contradictory Blackjack into a zen-like state of tranquility, which I was pretty sure he was faking. Oh, he wore his very best shopkeeper's smile, but I could see his knuckles whiten, ever so slightly, as he strained to keep his hands from settling into fists and beating some sense into the little guy. I would be very, very glad when this case was settled. The pictures were in Norman Bullrick's sweaty palm, and he was out of our lives for good. (laughs) Oh, for Pete's sake, King, knock it off. I don't think he likes me very much. That's only because he knows you, Norman. Yeah, that's what I... What was that? Mr. Bullrick, you hired us last Friday to complete a thorough report of your wife's activities. I'm not interested in her activities. I want to know if she's fooling around. Right. And you see how that might be considered an activity? Right, right. It's certainly a verb. What are you saying? Calm down, please, Mr. Bullard. What are you implying about my daddy? Norman! King! You sit there behind your desk smirking at me just because my missus is running around making a fool out of me? You're doing a pretty good job of that yourself, sweetie. You get on your feet, Justice. You get on your feet and... Norman, Norman, I can't have this discussion with you if you're going to fly off a different handle every six seconds. I know it. I'm sorry. You're the one that came to us. You're right, I'm no good. Oh, Buddha. How can I think such things about the sweetest little girl in the world? Here we go again. She's put up with me all these years. She must be a saint. You're joking, but you're right. She's too good for me. Now, now, Norman, don't feel that way. Everyone's too good for you. Tricks. No, no, she's right. You've both been very patient with me. We haven't shot you yet, if that's what you mean. It's just... 
I'm an emotional guy, is all. No, Norman, Mussolini was an emotional guy. You're just nuts. I'm not sure how this is helping. It's helping me a lot. It'd be all my fault if she was fooling around. Ah, oh, here we go again. I mean, look at me. I'm not the man she married, that's for sure. Huh? I mean, I've gone awful soft, I know, but where am I supposed to find the time? I work all day, I bust my hop. And who do I do it for? That's right. Who do I do it for? I do it for her, that's who. That's who. I try to make her comfortable. I try to make her happy. And how does she repay me? With this. With this. This. Norman. King. What? Somewhere in the vastness between the depths of despair and the hellish fury of a man scorned, there must be a middle ground. A nice, sedate middle ground. I would like you to find it and occupy it. It's just I... Or fake it. I can do that. Good. Sit. You came to us with the biggest grab bag of suspicions I've ever heard. There was no pattern, no prime suspect for the boyfriend. Boyfriend! Oh, God. Steady, Ace. I think I'm gonna be... Not here, you're not. No, I'm okay. You're a little green. I'm okay! Would you like a warm-up from the office bottle? Or a cup of coffee? No, I just need to... Just sit here. What about a cup of coffee with a warm-up from the office bottle in it? That might be nice. Tricks. Me? Oh, sure, by all means. Let's give him a depressive and a stimulant. Because Lord knows he needs to move even further in both directions. Swell. Now, Norman. Are you all right to go on? Sure, sure, I'm all right. Every day this week, you appeared at our door with a different list of suspects. But it was clear from the start that the only way to be sure would be to follow Mrs. Bolrick and get the goods on film. Film? Goods? Here's your coffee. Just whose goods were you getting on film? Norman, just take it. Who told you to run around taking dirty pictures of my wife? You did. What? I am not cleaning that up. <sighs> Can't believe this bad enough dog is running all over town. Norman. Some stupid shysters are getting shiny shaking pictures. Seamus. A shyster is a lawyer. A Seamus is a detective. And the pictures are specifically mentioned in our contract, a signed copy of which I have a... Uh, a signed copy of which I am sure my partner will be able to locate. Here, item four. I didn't read all that. Well, whose fault is that? I can't believe this is happening. Norman... Photographs are a pretty standard tool in this kind of investigation. Otherwise, what's to stop us from just telling you what you want to hear? Besides, most of the time it saves time and money later to provide proof of infidelity. Oh, my God. Why did you have to go and say that for? I don't know, because I'm an idiot. I can't stand this. I'm getting out of here. Norman, will you listen to me? No, you keep away from my family, you hear? Just, just, just leave me alone. He'll be back. That's what I'm afraid of. Please tell me you didn't use the good scotch in that coffee. First of all, calling that scotch the good scotch is an insult to both good and mediocre scotch. Granted. Secondly, the good scotch has been gone for three weeks. I thought we finished off the bad scotch last night. We did. So what was in that cup? Black coffee and a shot of aftershave. My good aftershave? First of all, calling that good aftershave is... You could have killed him! I don't have that kind of luck. And I am still not cleaning that up. Fine. I'll get it. I'm surprised Norman hasn't waddled back in yet. Is that sure he's coming back? Sure, I'm sure. He's been up and down like a yo-yo all week and wound twice as tight. We didn't get any farther than the word pictures, but he's going to want to see them. Guess so. They always want to see them. Mm-hmm. Come on, Trix. That guy's been back and forth all through this. She's no good. It's all my fault. She's a tramp. I'm a heel. A guy with that many questions is going to want some answers, especially if he's already paid for them. I guess. What is it? What? You're making that face. What face? That pouty thing you do with your bottom lip when you got a bad feeling. Usually right before someone shoots us. My bottom lip and I are profoundly uncomfortable at the level of detail you've amassed on our pouty things. Would it help if I mentioned that it makes you look a little gassy? Yes, it would. And shut up. 
But I do have a bad feeling about this. It ain't glamorous, but it pays the bills. That's not it. I don't mind a little divorce work now and then. And when we catch somebody at the corpus delecti, well, that's just there too bad, isn't it? We're not the ones that ruin their lives. We just made sure that all the interested parties had all the relevant facts. Sure. Sure. But nobody leaves here mad without a stern talking to and the number of a good divorce lawyer in their pockets. For which we receive a $45 bird dog. Sure, but even if we're after the bird dog, it still gets them thinking about legal ways to get even. Legal ways. You don't think... I don't know. But I prefer to know. And I don't. And that's a bad feeling. Look, Trix, I don't think this is what Norman Bullrick is like all the time. He's just a little screwed up right now. Which is kind of my point. I get what you're saying, but if I'm sure of one thing about the guy, it's that he loves his wife. That's what this whole thing is about. That's why he's wound so tight. Right. And if that snaps while he's wound up, who knows which way the pieces are going to fall. What are you saying? I'm saying right now I'm not sure Norman isn't a danger to himself or others. And I'm not sure that isn't partly our fault. Okay, I'll bite. What do we do about it? We play a little worst-case scenario. Shoot. Let's say Norman Bulbrick got in his car and tore off home with the intention of doing Mrs. Bulbrick harm. I just don't think he'd Worst be... case scenario. He'd never do it if he'd calmed down. But what if he raced straight there? We'd never make it in time to stop him. What are you doing? Relax, Trix. You sold me. If Muhammad can't get to the mountain in time... What? Yes. Is this Mrs. Dorothy Bulbrick of 142 Kramer Drive? Uh, Mrs. Bulbrick, this is Lieutenant Vic Sabian of the city police. Yes, ma'am. That's right. I'm sorry to ask you this, ma'am, but we need you to come down to the precinct house right away. That's right. No, ma'am, everything is fine, but we have reason to believe that you may have witnessed a crime. Yes, ma'am. Or, to be more specific, that you might have seen two suspects do a crime without realizing that a crime had ever been committed. That's right. I'm afraid I can't be more specific over the phone. You need to come down right away. What's that? Of, of course we could. I I just don't think you want your neighbors to see a police car pull up outside your house. Well, I'm glad you agree. You just get down here right away and tell Sergeant Nelson that you need to see Lieutenant Sabian just as soon as he's available, and I'll be right down to get you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Goodbye. If the squad room isn't a safe enough place for the missus while we find the mister, I don't know what is. Isn't Sabian still working night shift? Right. Which means he'll be on duty in an hour and a half. Nelson will disturb him 20 minutes after that. Sabian will scream at him for 10 minutes, apologize to Dottie Bullrick for five, and that's the end of fun. That gives us a couple hours for Norman to cool down. That settles the danger to others half of the equation. So what do you call that? Good start. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. The life of a private detective can be a very simple thing at times. You wait for someone's problems to get beyond their power to resolve themselves, and then you take them on yourself. Their alarm bells are the gently ringing chimes of opportunity at your door. It's a pretty simple formula. You wait for the job, you get the job, you do the job, you go back to point A. If all goes well, somewhere along the line you get paid. Exactly when and how much varies from case to case. With divorce work, or anything that smelled like divorce work, or anything which might turn into divorce work, we found that in advance was the best time to present a bill. The reasons for this were legion, but the biggest reason was that if anything is worse than getting proof positive of a profound betrayal, it was getting proof positive of a profound betrayal and a big fat detective bill at the same time. 
So you do your job, the office door slams behind your client, and you never think about it again. Simple. Nothing complicates the simple life of a private detective like forgetting this golden rule. Private detecting and public service are generally a pretty unpleasant cocktail. But there were one or two mitigating factors at play in this instance, the most obvious of which is that Norman Bullrick hadn't waited for our report before the door slammed behind him, meaning we were technically still on the job. And that's the little white truth that I kept telling myself as we took stock of our options. I still thought Trixie was wrong about Norman, but she wasn't taking any bets. It was better safe than sorry time at Justice and Dixon, and that meant something that our operation was entirely unsuited for. A manhunt. If two of us are going to find Norman Bullrick and keep him more safe and us less sorry, we were going to need some help. Fortunately, I knew just where to start. Our old pal, Freddy the Finger Hawthorne. Ah, oh, Jackie. Come on, not today, huh? I don't really have time for the tap dance today, Freddy. Her ladyship and I have divided up the entire city to find one small, sweaty man. So why come to me? That's such an obvious softball that I'm not even going to swing at it. Very funny, Blackjack. For a guy with a favor to ask, you are surprisingly glib. Oh, nice to see the word-a-day calendar is working out for you, Fred. Look, Jackie, I'm actually on the job right now, so why don't you just tell me what you want so I can say no and we can both get on with our day? What makes you think I want something? You're here, ain't you? Freddy, that hurts my feelings. It really does. Well... It's true, ain't it? Oh, have I been neglecting my little pal? My chum, my boon companion? I don't know what that last one means. I'm sure the calendar will get to it eventually. I am duly chastised, Frederick. I didn't say that. I, I just said... As it happens, I have an extra ticket to the fights this Friday, and I would like nothing better than for you to join me as my guest. On the level? And to God. The slump continues, does it? Shut up. Do you want to go or not? Delighted. Good. Our friendship thus restored? Here it comes. Jackie, I got work to do. I can't be running around town looking for some poor schmo. Who asked you to? Then what do you... Betsy. Oh, no. No way, Jackie. Come on, Freddy. If I got a chance of finding Norman, I gotta call in some help. And there's no better way to do that than with Betsy. Jackie, you're talking about using my most prized possession in a manner in which it was never intended. At least not by me. If you get your hands on a stolen police band radio, the one thing you do not do is attract attention to the fact by making outgoing calls. You keep it nice and quiet and let people wonder what makes you such a swell lookout. Listen, Freddy... Betsy is half my business. Some months, Jackie. And what exactly is the other half, Frederick? What? If you're on the job just now, that means there's something in these crates that you'd rather the law didn't see, yes? You wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Because you're going to let me use Betsy to call the law so I can leave you in peace and drive hither and yon over half the city before it's too late. Then we will go to the fights, and if you're very good, I will buy you a hot dog. It was always a dance with our man Freddy, but we usually got the job done. See, the best way to get a cop to do anything is to make him think it was his idea. A little trick I learned at Sabian's expense. Phoning headquarters to say that a little man named Norman Bolrick somewhere in the city may or may not be suicidal probably wouldn't result in a special flying squad. As a taxpayer, I'm delighted, but I was in a hurry. So, with the aid of a piece of carbon paper rustling in my hand to simulate some heavy static, and to cover the gaping holes in my story, like my singular lack of badge or unit numbers, 
I called in a report of a robbery suspect at large, exactly fitting Norman Baldrick's description. Freddy looked skeptical. Until two minutes later, the call went out for all units to be on the lookout for just such a man. I was pretty pleased with myself. Until I saw the look on Freddy's face. The light in his eyes spoke of nothing short of revelation. I knew not to what fiendish purpose he would put this new trick for his very favorite old dog, but it was almost sure to end badly. My stern warnings met with warm smiles and hearty handshakes and promises to see me Friday. Hopefully the law would oblige, but I had a long way to go yet. I wondered how Trixie was making out. The simplest explanation is almost always the right one. It sounds obvious, but in a business as full to bursting as ours was with cranks, crazies, and conspiracies, it occasionally passed for brilliance. So when you find yourself with an unexpected need to locate a small, distraught man, your targets run in this order. The nearest bar, the rest of the nearby bars, a bar on the most direct route between him and home, and other bars in the general area of his home. It took me an hour to run through that list. Now it was time for some light deduction, which some folks call guessing, but that doesn't impress the clients as much. So I headed uptown to the general area of the plant in which Norman worked and checked, you guessed it, the bars. I even found his local, an obliging enough armpit called the Rainy Day Cafe. Its decor was every bit as depressing as its name, as was the owner, who knew Norman well, but hadn't seen him in two days. Now I was just about out of ideas. If you have time to find someone, it's an easy enough thing to do, even if they don't mean to be found. But if it's a rush job, it's less like detective work than it is looking for a lost cat. Except I didn't expect to find Norman by opening a tin of sardines. And so begins the final phase of detective work, the brilliant deduction. Brilliant deduction is very much like light deduction, except the guesses are so wild and so ridiculous that you look like a genius on the rare occasion that they pan out. Norman didn't work in an office tower, so the skyscraper angle was probably out. So I began my brilliance by driving to the nearest bridge, with the general intention of following the river for a while, looking for despondent loners or dumpy floating corpses. There was no dice at the Randolph, already starting to jam up hours ahead of the evening rush. But a hundred yards to the north was the more scenic footbridge, usually devoid of tourists this time of year. But there was a shamefully giddy thrill at my own brilliance as I saw the form of a man through the mist, twelve feet up one of the spars with a nice, clear view of the river below. I slammed my foot on the accelerator. If he wanted to jump before I got there, there wasn't much I could do about it. I skidded to a halt, flew out of the car at top speed, and sprinted across the spans as fast as my boots would carry me. I'm as fit as the next girl, provided the next girl is taut and lean and makes grown men gasp just a little when she's in a mood to do so. But I was gasping a little myself as I closed in on the man whose hands I could see just clutching the support behind him. If Norman jumped now, I'd shoot him before he hit the river, just on general principles. Norman! Norman! Don't do it! Don't jump! You don't... Oh. Stay back! Uh, I'm sorry, I thought you were somebody else. I'm gonna jump! Right. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Stay back! Okay, good luck. Wait! What? Where are you going? I was just... Uh, sorry, pal, I'm actually looking for someone else. But I'm gonna jump! Yeah, you mentioned that. I'm sorry to disturb you. I'll do it! Oh, I get it. <laughs> Look, I'm sure somebody will be along in just a minute. You think I'm kidding? No, I'm sure you're completely serious... But there's a limit to the number of jumpers I can be responsible for at the same time, and my dance card is a little full just now. With who? What? 
Who did you think I was? Your boyfriend? You can't see me at all, I take it. What's that? I'm not vain by nature, but if you were to turn your head over this way just a little... There you go. Now you be the judge. How likely do you think it is that any man with any level of access, however limited, to this would be jumping off a bridge? It's an interesting point. Okay, you can stop looking now. Sorry. Not to be rude. Just that clinging to the side of a bridge is one of the least attractive things a man can be doing at any given moment. It is? And I once knew a man who poisoned four children. You did? Well, not so much new, but it sounds better than I once shot a man who poisoned four children. No, it doesn't. You know, I believe you're right. Who are you? Trixie Dixon, girl detective. And you are... Tom Wallace. Nice to meet you, Tom. Look, I really should be going. I understand. Look, just a wild guess. You're not doing this over a girl, are you? How did you know? The disappointment on your face when I said how unattractive it was. Look, it's none of my business, but whoever she is, she can't be worth it. What makes you say that? Because we just met, so this can't be over me. See, you're smiling a little now. Sorry. Nah, it's all right. Can't think why, since running out to the middle of this bridge does have me panting a little more than I normally do at three in the afternoon. Okay, now you're blushing. Suicides don't blush. Who says? Look, Cupcake, not that this isn't fun, because it is. I like a little banter, and I love to lead. You're easy on the eyes, and in a different time and place, and if I didn't know you had a disturbing tendency towards dramatic gestures of the completely unwanted kind... I just might be inclined towards proving to you that life is worth living, if you catch my drift. And once you're over what's-her-name, you'll find lots of others so inclined, if you learn to play it just a touch cooler. But I'm a little pressed for time just now, so I tell you what. If I can prove to you in ten seconds or less that you don't want to die, you climb down from there and don't ever, ever do this again. Huh. Huh. I'd like to see that. Okay. What are you doing? Are you crazy? That was scary, wasn't it? You ducked as best you could and you clung to that strut even harder. You don't want to get shot and you don't want to fall. Now get down here or I'll make both those things happen in that order. Yes, ma'am. Hmm. The first attractive thing you've said. Today is the first day of the rest of your life, sweet pea. Now don't cheese me off or it'll also be the last. There's a moment that comes more often than any detective would like. The moment when you know full well that you're licked. There's no punch clock, no company whistle, nothing to tell you that another day's work is done. The job is either finished, or it's never gonna be finished, and that's the way it is. Three and a half hours after her ladyship and I beat it out of our digs as fast as our flat little feet would carry us, I dragged myself back to the office. Whatever Norman Bolrick was gonna do, he'd done it by now. Mighty King, who had spent a thoroughly satisfactory afternoon with his head stuck out the window of my old heap, trotted on ahead with enthusiasm, which could only mean one thing. He'd spotted the girl detective by the elevator. Hey, sweetheart, who's a good boy? How come I never rate a greeting like that? Thanks, Jack. I was getting hungry till that wave of nausea settled in. Real nice. Any luck? Yeah, all of it bad. I could use a drink. All we've got's left is aftershave, remember? Maybe just a small one, then. Come on. We'll close up and I'll take you down to the blue moon for an actual scotch. A good scotch? No, but one with scotch in it anyway. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? Oh, don't get jealous, King. It's not like you've ever picked up a round. Wait, you don't think... 
Norman. Norman, what are you doing here? Just... Just waiting. Sitting on the floor outside our office door? Well, it was locked. Well, let's fix that. I'm going to take a wild guess and say you've been here, what, three, three and a half hours? I don't know. I guess so. Oh, boy. I want to say I'm sorry. Sorry for the way I acted. It's just... Dottie means the world to me. When's the last time you told her that, Norman? What? I... I don't know. Not often enough, I guess. Just, I can never figure what she saw in a mug like me in the first place. I wouldn't understand. Norman, you see beautiful women with funny-looking men every day. Nothing personal. What? She saw something in you that she loved. Something that made her want to be with you. And I'm just guessing, but I doubt it was paranoia or jealousy, which is all you seem to have to offer these days. You're right. It's my fault. Dottie's not cheating on you, Norman. What? You flew off the handle and raced out of here before we could tell you. Before we could explain that this file full of pictures features about 12 rolls of film of Mrs. Bullrick engaged in the most mild-mannered of domestic errands. Take a look. Five days we followed her, Norman, and I never even saw her look at another man. I don't know from why, and it's not my job to know. But Dottie is not on the market, Norman. Now, for Pete's sake, take her out for dinner and a show. And quit spending so much time at the Rainy Day Cafe. What? Thanks for stopping by, Norman. Thank you. Thank you both. You've made me the happiest man in the world! And believe it or not, that was the seventh happiest divorce job old Square Jaw and I had ever worked. It wasn't short, and it wasn't sweet. It wasn't without its share of blood, sweat, and tears. But Norman Bullrick walked out with his head held high and a spring in his step. King even wagged his tail at him a little for good measure. We didn't know how it all worked out, but maybe, just maybe, he was through being his own worst enemy. It was a start, anyway. It was a start. Blackjack Justice, episode 23, Much Ado About Norman, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Peter Nickel, M. John Kennedy, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. The National Safety Council warns Americans that the most common accidents occur within 20 feet of your own front door. Honey, I'm going out to check the mail. What? Yes, it's the time you think you're the safest, that you're in the most danger. Within 20 feet of your own front door. Honey, I'm going out to get the paper. National Safety Council advises that you use extreme caution whenever you are within 20 feet of your own front door. Honey, I'm going to let the cat out. <laughs> to be completely safe, never come within 20 feet of your own front door. Honey, pass the ketchup, will you? Pass what? The ketchup! Okay, here it comes! Tomorrow, we'll discuss the threat of killer condiments. Ow!
Oh, I'm sorry. Are you bleeding? I can't tell. Oh.